Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Generally Casual. I'm your co-host, Michael, and joined with me today is... Richard. Oh, I was going to say you go first anyway, but I, I guess I'm Corey now. But yeah. That Corey was Corey now. and Richard in that order. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today, as kind of teased from our last podcast, we're talking about the wonderful, early, sometimes very hated... Uh, early access. I almost said ease of access. I was like, that's a setting in your phone. Is it, is it too on the nose if we release this on a Tuesday? Stop it. Stop it. Get out of here. I mean, we're not charging for it, so we can release it whenever we want. Yeah, that's also, true. I really wouldn't say that that's early access because then it's already the final product. <laughs> yeah, well, they're already listening say. to it as well. Yeah, like, They I already mean, have it, but we're telling them it's early access. And then we're like, oh, that's a beta podcast. Hold on. We're still updating the audio for that one. Well, I was going to say, they, they know, could normally listen to it on Friday, and then they listen to this episode on Thursday. That's early access for them. Actually, yeah. theoretically, for podcasting, an early access version would be the live stream that you watch before it becomes Ooh, a... That's true. Yeah. yeah, before it comes out as a real podcast and edited. Or a that's Twitch stream. True. Yeah. And that's like, oh, look at all the bugs that are there, which is just them saying real things. And then they get edited down to what the podcast wants to be. Or them showing bugs on the screen, like literal bugs. Yeah, or glitches. So what yeah. is early access, Richard? <laughs> well, from what you told me... Early access? <laughs> what is it? Define. Um, you had to split it up in your definitions because early access is not a definable thing versus early and access. Well, Lexico didn't want to be nice to us and have it. Well, so. of course. Yeah. Because there's multiple words put together. It's they, like, they what have... is early? What is access? Well, you got to keep in mind also what well, the coin termed early access is now popularized by Steam. Yeah. Versus what we mean it is literally the definition of those two words. Yep. Uh, often. What was just... so... Oh, oh, yeah. Er, I see. You, you swapped them. Uh, early is happening or done before the usual or expected time and access, uh, often access to mass noun, the means or opportunity to approach or enter a place. Yes. So, so if you didn't know what the, access. what the word earlier access means, welcome to English 101. So in terms of what <laughs> we mean, and this is kind of where we're going to kind of go into where it came from and what, like I said, People are most familiarized with the term right now through Steam because Steam has a program for developers that lets them pretty much, once they have a stable build of a game that's playable, they can go through the early access program, get approved, and then release what they have so far for the game as it's developing. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly along the lines that Michael joked about earlier is it's um having access to a not completed product it's not the final product but people still get to engage with it before you otherwise would have been able to so kind of where that comes from and we'll kind of go a little bit more technical into uh games before we kind of go off games and talk about other stuff that is early access we care about games more um, is I also found a list, that, a beautiful list that says how long things spent in early access and the most successful ones that came out of that. Oh, perfect. Yeah, the other definition for early access is purgatory. You know what? Wow. Yeah, now, dark. that would be true if you actually got access to real heaven before you were, like, if that's what purgatory was. It's like, oh, it's a nice place to spend. But I feel like most definitions of purgatory are like, 
It's uh, it's gray and bland, and there's nothing in it there. Just stays well, there. I, I was gonna say you could then, it, by that definition, you can argue you're getting early access to your doctor's appointment through the waiting room. That's true, yeah. But <laughs> you're not actually getting the doctor's experience exactly. like when you're in the no, waiting that's room. A, when you're in the waiting room, that's when the nurse gives you some of the medication early. Like, <laughs> in front of everybody? Yeah. Like, Here, take these drugs. Here's no, some samples but the, of drugs. The purgatory thing is like it's stuck there. Some things get stuck there and they never leave. The heaven is you get the product and you enjoy it. And then the hell is you get the product but you don't enjoy it. Yeah, you know what? Simplified. I'm going to let Corey just stick with that definition. Afterlife philosophy with Corey. And you know yep. what? You, the end comment today is if you like what Corey just said, shout at him on our Twitter and our, <laughs> <laughs> our Instagram and our Facebook. And if you hate it, well, shout, shout twice as loud. Yeah, <laughs> On those same things, yep. just in different Post ways. Post two comments instead of one. Let um, us know what you think about Corey's in front of game development. <laughs> so... Uh, for bigger games, uh, AAA titles, or even, I mean, anything that's made by a big publisher like EA or Activision or any of the big names, uh, they go through cycles in the development. Um, most of which, once the coding is down, is quality assurance or QA. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, they don't want to pay suckers. More or less. <laughs> that, and these are people literally working for... Many, many hours a day playing the same levels over and over and over again and trying to break the game constantly and then filling out large reports on how they broke the game. So that way those, that stuff can get fixed. If you're an anime fan, you might uh, recognize uh, Sword Art Online as they touch on that very little bit. Yes. So they're like, hey, you were a, a beta person or like the pre the quality insurance person who like you found out everything about the game and you wouldn't play it anyways because you enjoyed it. Well, and the kind of good thing is is uh, they still do that for AAA games and for big publishers and stuff like that. They do pay people for that. But they, being that the publisher pushes out faster and faster schedules, it doesn't always work to their favor. As a prime example, Bethesda as a whole uh, was really known for their game-breaking bugs in probably the past 10 years anything with fallout or really anything mainly because of the scale of their games yeah they're massive open world games and if you did one thing wrong on accident which usually most players do it just straight up won't let you play the game anymore yeah which is actually funny because nintendo su- suffered that in the the early uh early access the early days of their games too but they wasn't game breaking they were just tricks that people would use to speed run the games faster exactly <laughs> So kind of going on from there, um, that kind of evolved into uh, they companies wanted to include their end user as part of that process. So uh, kind of transitioning out of what we know now as QA is they would do focus groups, especially for mobile games, especially now, where they would bring in a group of people and have them play the game um, or a part of a game. And then have people uh, talk about marketing and other things like that. Did you like like this? Did you like this? What didn't you like? Yeah. Or did you find something that was broken in the game? Like a lot of that they do in a basic report and have people, the general public, sign a non-disclosure agreement saying you can't tell people what this game is, but did you enjoy it? Blah, blah, blah. And that was mostly used for marketing purposes. Um. During that transition also, this is more the 90s, uh, where 
um, and 80s where they would start to include uh, demos of games with uh, magazines or as gifts through like cereal or other things like that. I, I loved get like that was one of my favorite things was if I got to go to the, the supermarket with my mom to buy the box of cereal that came with a game. Oh, Corey, you don't like this. No, I, I like it now. I like this cereal. <laughs> it, mom. it comes with, you know, uh, that what was uh, the big one? That came out that I remember. AOL Total minutes. War. Oh, sorry. Total War Rome. Oh, was, like yeah, yeah. my first experience Age with that of Empires game. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, was because of a demo disc on a cereal box. It was great. So they that's they a, expanded that. I in- was gonna say real quick. That's also where I met uh, Jackbox for the first time. That's true. And it was like you don't know Jack, which was the original quiz show that they used to run. Really. And then it disappeared for. Years. years and then it came back as jackbox i was like well, I, don't know. I guess it just proves you can reinvent your company into whatever you want uh, more or less <laughs> um and that kind of also got very popularized it went outside of uh cereal boxes went into magazines and um other things like that so as a prime example xbox magazine every single month came with a uh, xbox demo disc that had like 12 to 15 games uh playstation would just straight up release those demo discs and you could get uh pay like a dollar i think it was what it was and you would get 12 games um that you could try out and things like that at um, this point it was very much based off advertising mm-hmm. the, the demo discs were essentially another form of advertising that mm-hmm. helps people become more engaged with the product yeah and, absolutely and they actually use it as cross promotional tools as the as the technology became cheaper and cheaper to make so a prime example of this is when on Xbox 360, if you bought the game Crackdown, it came with Halo 3's multiplayer, which was pretty much a beta version of what their multiplayer was. And that is what ended up making Halo 3 even more successful than Halo 1 and 2, other than obviously them being good games, was uh, Crackdown increases sales like crazy because people actually just wanted the halo 3 multiplayer wow. and not actually crack yeah. down and that set a precedent for other games doing similar things where they're like hey buy this game in our lineup and you get access to the demo or beta for this game and then you know buy this game and you get access to this game which i feel like has mostly stopped oh definitely it, it was really big with i want to say like ea and ubisoft games for yeah. a while where it was like they really pushed like hey if you buy this game you get early access to this other game that's coming out in two months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and uh, to kind of steer away from consoles and to go kind of backwards in time, the we already talked about the demo discs, which were more prevalent on PC than they were on console originally because you could just throw in a little floppy disk a long time ago and you just get a little version of a game. Mm-hmm. But what they would transition from from demo discs was actually just downloading the demos all the way into beta programs and beta programs as a whole are really big on multiplayer games and on um like massively multiplayer online games because the team needed to see not only how many people were interested in the game so you could either sign up through email or you just straight up get a code and you could download it immediately and then it would have like weekends where you could play, but also to be able to stress test their servers to make sure that that initial load of players that came in, that their servers could handle it, it's a big which load. nine times out of 10, they couldn't every single time when I, I, I played a lot of uh, betas for MMOs. Um, really? 
A lot of them. I, I could not expect that whatsoever. <laughs> it's very strange, Richard. But the funny thing is, is they would always do beta weekends where you'd basically be able to play like Friday afternoon to Sunday evening. Because they're looking for peak player count, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, and peak player time, too. And it was great because you would always struggle to get into those. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the funny thing was, is the those weekends generally would... they'd. Be, They'd advertise like, oh, yeah, this was great. Thank you for coming and playing. Like, our server test was great, blah, blah, blah. And then the first week that the game would come out, the first day, the servers would automatically crash for Same multiple problems. hours. Yep. <laughs> and then they'd fix it. And then a couple hours later, they would crash again. And uh, that entire weekend, it would just be terrible because the server load was too yeah. much. I, I remember, uh, I think Battlefield 4 was around the time when AAA titles started being really, really buggy. Mm-hmm. Within the first couple of weeks that they were out, and that was the notorious one that was like, uh, so the servers we weren't expecting this many people to play them. I'm like, why? Like, <laughs> well, that's the funny thing is, is uh, for Battlefield, even before that, Bad Company 2 was a notoriously glitchy game when it first came out. That, uh, because they did the whole destructive environment thing. When that first came out, there were straight up like people would knife a building and the entire building would Falls come down. down. Yeah. Oh, I played so much of Bad Company too. That was so great. Well, and they didn't have they didn't have as successful of a release after that until Battlefield 4. Which I don't remember if there was a game in between that, but they waited a little bit before they released another Battlefield and game. And even then Battlefield 4 was played with the same things. So it was yeah. crazy. Um, the new the newest Battlefield is actually running pretty successful. Uh, it's been out for a few years. Yeah, now though, right? one. I think it's one Battlefield one. I actually don't know. I, I feel like that was the one previous, but um, oh, oh it might, that might have been a while ago. Uh, I, uh, it's yeah. been running forever, whichever yeah. one it is. I, it probably was one, and that one is doing really well. I mean, I I have a roommate who plays that game all the time, so um, it suffers from a few things here and there, and it just added like custom stuff, and I'm like. Thus proving the game starts off super bad and terrible. <laughs> well, and and as like more heavily better. centralized multiplayer games kept coming around, they they figured out some cycles and things like that. They uh, would offer sweepstakes to let you into betas and you know things like that. Uh, there were now for any PC game, usually it's just an email list that you would sign up for, and then you would get into whatever they're doing. Um, and also any game that's currently out, um, a lot of the games, they also now have test servers. So they're called PTRs, which is just usually just, you get to play content before it's out. Mm -hmm. Um, so then that actually transitioned, uh, into, and kind of where the, uh, the bigness came from kind of was where Kickstarter came from. So crowdfunding, along with a whole bunch of other lines, really was the idea that you could pay for something before you get it, but you'd be part of that development experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it really opened it up more to the the wider community because I would say uh, people who play a lot of games were pretty familiar at this point with the concept of pre-orders, betas, early access, um, but it didn't really apply very frequently if at all that i can remember from my memory like how how do you like early access any other product that isn't a video game right the, up until then and that's the thing is the only other industry that would really do that would be the music industry they would offer singles 
which was basically a early access to the album. Yeah. Mm. Well, and that's the thing is like even bef- before early access was a thing, video game players had access to the game through betas. But I wouldn't say that's the same experience as early access. That's true. Uh, yeah, and and that's the thing is the the beta was either a small part of the game, or it was so time locked that you wouldn't be able to get very far in the game anyway. Yeah, and betas, from my memory, a lot of the time, at least growing up, it was very typically like a single level or two levels, and then they would guide you through that. And a lot of the times, the betas pretty much had very similar and functioning mechanics, but the look and feel of the game did change pretty drastically when it came to release. Yeah. And I feel like the early access games that I've played have been a little more consistent with the feeling of the game itself and the look of the game. Well, and a lot of that actually stems from the quality control that whichever company that they're doing early access for, in this case, it's mostly Steam, but they have strict approval uh, qualifications for early access games. Um, they require basically the game to be playable or in a playable state along with like a bunch of other requirements for a developer to get approved in the early access program. They and, already have to have pretty much a game ready to go. And talking about something that's very modern that came out within the last month. I mean, Valheim has 6 million people who picked up that game and at least in re- relative recent memory, is one of the most successful early access games that's come out so far. But you run into a problem that only 50% of the game is complete. So unless it's a really creative game, like a Minecraft or some kind of builder, you're going to struggle with playing that game because it's probably going to be really buggy. So, I mean, that's usually the problem with it, with some of the newer early access is that you like, oh, yeah, I'll jump into it and I'll try to, I'll try to play it. And you go... Oh God, this is all terrible, and I'm not playing a game. I'm just bug testing these this thing. And I'm like, that's the biggest thing is that you're getting introduced what other people would be paid for. And but some, some people like have figured out like, oh well, we just want to treat this entire process of this early access as literally throwing. If you can throw two million players as goop on the wall and see what sticks, you have a much larger statistic than what you could pay reasonably pay for right like you would be paying maybe what five ten employees for a smaller studio to to test this or like three well and yeah (laughs) this is actually i i'm kind of skipping ahead but this is actually a great time to pick up uh some some of the longest games that have been early accessed because some of them might surprise you because one of the biggest ones out there not longest but biggest one was fortnite yeah fortnite was in access for over three years Yep. And in that time, completely changed what it was. It was it, supposed to be a... It was supposed to be a campaign. Yeah. It was, Story actually. It's still, the it's only still, thing still that actually was released, it was released as a disc. It was called uh, Fortnite Save the World. Yep. And it was a single-player campaign where you would pretty much do the same thing you did in Fortnite against these AI zombie things that yeah. would come and attack your fort. And go through, like, a, a... Yeah, and that was the intro to it, which I was like... I think that's what wowed everybody in the initial thing was like, hey, build up your tower and your fortress while hordes of zombies come and attack you. And it was like Fortnite. So I was like, oh, every two weeks or something? If you don't know what Fortnite means, that's what it means. <laughs> um, but then then it completely flipped over when B- BR games slowly start, started, coming, uh, started to become a thing. That's Battle Royale. Yeah. 
Um, which actually leads to what you had placed up previously, which is the longest early access game is DayZ. Uh-huh. DayZ, which started battle royale as a whole genre, and then quickly got put down because it was an early access for too long. Well, and that's the thing is also uh, DayZ got very much overshadowed by other games in that market. Not only Fortnite, which was really funny because the single player game actually bombed. And then they picked up on that BR, and that's when it got popularized. Yep. Um, versus other games that were similar was uh, PUBG, which was pretty much very, very similar to, to Daisy. Yeah. Um, practically used the engine and then went on their own way and, and did their own thing, too. Yeah. But then there's games like Subnautica, which was early access for three years, that I think did, did things right. They start off with a very solid outline for a game and go, okay, how do we add on to this? Yeah. So, I mean, it's very similar to what Valheim does. I think early access works best when it's in a creative mode, not when you're being introduced to a storyline or something like that. Because you're not, like, you're not getting anything out of it. There's not much you can do. But when you're creative, you have people going all sorts of doing crazy stuff. Like, they can just build a base for hours. And then, you know, you rack up 40 hours in the game going, I guess it paid for itself. Well, and actually, one other example that I have played multiple times and had fun with it is actually Phasmophobia. That's Mm -hmm. in early access as well. The main thing with that game is it's a very simple concept with some very creative elements to it. And it's just one guy developing. So that is really where... Um, early access shines is very very small studios indie uh, stuff. Um, get to then introduce their product to people and if it's good or if it has a good premise people will be patient well not only that it actually allows these small developers to have capital to produce these games yeah yeah like in a lot of times um, and previous to early access and kickstarter and stuff like that you would have these like um love child sort of games that these developers would want to release but capital runs out real quick if you're a single person or or two people and you're trying to fund this out of your own pocket well and actually the same thing uh almost the opposite happens uh as an example um there was uh uh, insomniac studios which is a large studio they're the ones that make spider-man and and a bunch of other games I think they did like ratchet and clank too i think so yeah. yeah but they took a break from sony for a bit and made a little um indie game that they wouldn't have been able to do because being kind of stuck on that cycle as a big developer a big publisher you don't get to do those projects so then early access or even like the indie programs that xbox does and and a number of other things even lets those giant publishers then take some time and be like we need just a little bit of capital to just kind of then do something that wouldn't be as successful with shareholders, but potentially really grab a, an audience. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually my, my one big negative with crowdfunding and uh, early access is when you've got games from big developers who go, oh, well, we'll just crowdfund this. And it's like, then it crowdfunds for like three years. Like that was my biggest problem with Fortnite is like it took so long to evolve into something when it's got a huge backing to it. It's got a big oh, yeah. company behind it. You know, it's epic. And it's like, 
why why can't you guys figure this out like to be fair it did take like two years for epic to finish playing all their power moves on the industry oh yeah which is still going yeah yeah well that's that's a ridiculous thing is that they were like oh well we gotta be in a position and this game takes off and you know it's sometimes when big companies try to do the same thing it just looks very greedy and very money hungry Mm -hmm. but then you have other games like a board game uh um slugfest games who does red dragon in every single one of their games is crowdfunded and you know, at this point, they probably could afford that themselves. But I think it like it matters to them that they're still getting audience feedback on the game. And uh, their most recent crowdfund just came out, early access, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> because they're actually doing early access with it. You can go on Tabletop Simulator and try out the game before you get it. See, and that's actually that's good because one of the things that Kickstarter has is quote unquote indirect early access for a number of different things. And like I said, it really gets you into the insight and the development transparency of, of products. And it's really interesting that they went the tabletop simulator route as their early access because previously... It was print and play. Well, and uh, I think w- with your specific experience with Sebastian, yeah, you were able to play test that, uh, that game a lot. Yeah. But that's because you're local. Mm-hmm. Most people, if they're kickstarting... They're from all over the place and can't necessarily go to where the developer is. Yeah, and that actually brings up another industry that can theoretically early access is, is the board game or tabletop industry because they have to figure out how to play that board game before it's printed in the first place. So the early access to that is getting on to the development with the game and trying out a print-and-play version. Um, there's many board games that are starting to do that where they can be like, hey... This is this will get require you to do a lot, but if you really want to try it out before you have the physical version, you can print out all of these cards or all the pieces, and then you like use pennies or like sub in like things that that you need like for miniatures or something, and just play the game like print it and try it, the very beta version of it, um, and that really doesn't work in too many other industries like music, video games, board games, and I think. Um, interestingly enough, it, it's kind of tied to one of the questions that I was going to ask you guys later as to have you guys crowdfunded or kickstarted or early accessed much. Um, but I'm actually, I just recently kickstarted this project by uh, Van Neistat, who is the brother of Casey Neistat, a film producer. Okay. Um, <laughs> but he's doing this YouTube series. And I started watching it. And I'm like, wow, I'm really into this. It's kind of got like this old VCR kind of film vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. So I'm like, oh, he's doing a Kickstarter for his project so he can make more movies. So I, I look at it. I'm like, oh, cool. I might kickstart this. Because what I really enjoy is the sense of engagement and feeling like, you know, I'm helping out and giving back to something that someone's given me, which is enjoyment out of a free product that I've watched on YouTube. So I'm like, I'm not expecting anything back from this Kickstarter, right? Yeah. Because my mind's like, how would you get anything back from something that you watch? How would you get an early access to that other than like a demo, right? Yeah. Um, But with them, depending on what tier you, you give, so how much money you give, they'll send you like stickers or shirts or what I thought was really interesting was in the background of some of his videos, he'll have like random posters or he'll have 
people's names. So if you yeah. back it, he'll have your name in the background. Okay. Or he, <laughs> one of the backings is a, a PDF of 14 days of dinner. <laughs> so it's his own recipes that he uses because he's a family guy. So he'll just send you that PDF. And I'm like, you oh, know that's what? Interesting. That's adorable. I kind of want that. Yeah. <laughs> so That's interesting. Um. So yeah, that like... It was just, I thought that's really quite cute and quaint, is having some sort of reward that most people wouldn't exactly think of being possible for a specific thing that you would kickstart like that. I can share with you my most exciting kickstarting story, besides Sebastian, which I got to go on the ground floor and help him develop a game. For Z year one. For Z year one. Z year one. Z year one. Z year one. Available on Steam. Board game slash video game. I'm more... Crossing my fingers, board game. Go, Sebastian. Work it. Um, <laughs> is I got to be on the set of a movie. Um, I and I kick-started a movie for the company Rooster Teeth a while oh, ago. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to put too much money, but I love Rooster Teeth, and I'll give them money. Um, and at the time, they were a lot more indie than they are now. They're now owned by full screen, so they kind of have a backing to it and kind of owned differently now. But... At the time, they were trying to exceed the highest grossing movie that had ever existed on Kickstarter. And they did that. And then they were quickly uh, uh, dominated by um, Broken Lizard. Oh, of course. uh, Oh, Super Troopers 2. Yeah, Super Troopers 2. Which is, I think, is the reigning champ for biggest Kickstarter. Crowdfunded movie. Yeah, biggest crowdfunded movie. At least on Kickstarter. Um, And part of the rewards was if you, like, got... If you hit a certain reward cap and you were the first 555 people who hit it, then you could get access to go be in a background set for the movie. I didn't get it, but I knew somebody who got it. Uh, my friend Matt at the time, who also knows Sebastian. And he was like, hey, I can't do this. Do you want to do it? I was like, yes, I would love to do that. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So I changed all my plans around, flew all the way out there, and I got to be, I got to go tour the the studio, their new studio that they're still at today. Um, I got to go be on the on the set for the movie. I met some new friends, so it was a it was a really fun, exciting time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I think that's my most craziest like impromptu thing I've done <laughs> related to Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. But don't if you're trying to kickstart today, probably they're not going to do that as much. <laughs> yeah, I mean a lot of uh, a lot of projects and stuff have a lot of uh, have fleshed out their techniques and everything like that. You can definitely tell. There's too many articles about what makes a successful Kickstarter and mm-hmm. things like that. The The funny thing about it is, and we've already talked about this, is the the Steam early access by comparison to the Kickstarter is the Steam early access, you pay a flat price, you get the product. Yes, and uh, that's the one thing that I also wanted to mention that people be careful with with Kickstarter is Kickstarting thing does not guarantee you any product. At all. At so, all. Hey, hey, guess what? I also have a story for that because I'm a long-time <laughs> Kickstarter. I've been doing that for, what, nine years now. Um, I don't Kickstarter all the time. I think I've done 35 products. Uh, That's a lot. That's a lot. My my, my wallet feels empty now. Um, I Kickstarted two separate things that didn't end up ex- coming to me. One was a $300 loss, which Oof. was the one that hit my stomach the most. But I swore I was like, nope. I'm accepting this as a loss when I put my money down for the Kickstarter, which you have to do. If you're going to kickstart anything, accept it as a loss as soon as you put the money in. 
like gambling. Yes, it's like uh, no joke. Like it is no. like gambling. No, it's not <laughs> because you already know the money's gone no matter what. Yeah, gambling at least you may earn something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it just the de- gamble is you get something back. It depends on your nope. approach to gambling. If you go a hundred dollars down at the at the craps table, you're like, "Oh, that money's just gone." And then you get two hundred dollars back. Well, it's like free money. Look at that. <laughs> don't, don't don't have that mentality when you're going to gamble. Though. No, no that's just, the mentality. money's gone. That that's way you go, you approach gambling going, "I'm only going to bring a hundred dollars. This hundred dollars will be that, gone by the end of the week." There weekend. you go. That's the mentality. Yeah. Um, so I kickstarted two different things. The one was cheap. It was like $30, $30 for jerky. It was like interesting jerky. It had a cool flavors. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, during the time, uh, they got shut down because they were a legal company and oh, they were oh. not running everything properly. Ooh. Uh, I lost my money there, but that was like 30 bucks. It was like, okay. But my $300 were for, for some cool stere- uh, 3d audio headphones. That supposedly when you put them on, they could pinpoint audio no matter what you're listening to to exactly where it's supposed to be in relation to what you're watching or what you're playing. It's like room space. Yes. So that way, like, if you're sitting here, like, we're in this room, I could hear Corey's over there and Richard's over there. Yes. I'm saying over there because you're not in the room with me. So (laughs) no benefit to you. We don't give bearings. But the company went bankrupt after they made their first, like, 20 prototypes. Uh, they gave those 20 prototypes out to a few people. They're probably their highest backers. And then they were done. And they were just like, well, sorry, we can't give you your money back. And I was like, cool. Thanks. Yeah. And that, that kind of is the difference in process, right? Between Steam, Early Access, and Kickstarter is Kickstarter, you start funding things bef- sometimes before they even have prototypes or anything ready. Uh, a lot of the time, it's a concept that you're kickstarting. They'll have a video or they'll have a PDF file saying, hey, look, this is what we want to do. This is our dream. Give us money. And then early access is like, hey, this is this thing. It's already been vetted by Steam. We can give it to you as a product to experience some of now. Do you want in? Yeah. And the only thing that you might not get with early access is a finished game. You will have a game. Yeah. Which might have stuff in it, but there's no... There's not 100% whether that game's eventually going to be done. Example, DayZ took five years to complete, and during that whole time, people were like, it might, not just, it might just not finish ever. And there are games that stay in early access and then just shut right down. Oh, yeah, they never get out of that, that beta. Yeah, absolutely. Because technically, uh, for any early access game, they do have to, I believe, number sequence their releases. They cannot do a uh, 1.0 release and have it be early access. Yeah, um, and that actually leads into, I think, our inspiration for talking about early access in the first place was how it leads to other industries. Other industries now are trying out the quote-unquote early access, which I would say is a different feel for some other industries, but are trying to somehow give you access to something before it officially releases. More which, along the lines of our definition for today, for yes, early access. Is getting access to something before the public has access to that <laughs> and funnily that enough because based off of our previous episode we uh coming off of disney and disney plus i forgot to actually add something that i would actually consider early access mm-hmm. and that's sneak previews that's pretty much what early oh, access like is the little teases at the end of marvel movies and stuff no like no that? no sneak previews like how we saw lilo and stitch exactly 
<laughs> so you would actually they uh, it's the same thing as a focus group basically mm-hmm. they wouldn't actually quiz you or anything like that they wouldn't do the marketing they would just let a small select group of people and invite them to come to a theater and watch the movie before everybody else did now if i'm not mistaken though the huh. tickets were free for those things and it was like a special event Example, like how reviewers get to see the movie before it actually releases, but this is for the public. Oh, I I think I totally got to see one of those events for the original Shrek. I wouldn't I think doubt I it. remember that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and if I'm not mistaken, some of those are not only to, at one point in time, start the word of mouth early about a movie, but they would also invite um, reviewers to come and do that theater. So that way it'd be cheaper. And then they just bring in a whole bunch of people as well. Yeah. Oh, and even there, they would have somebody in there to judge the reaction of just regular people yeah. and be like, did they enjoy it? Were they leaving smiling? Were they leaving like with a bland face? Like did they enjoy it. Oh, that reminds me of a photo I saw the other day of like, it was a photo of the audience's reaction to the first scene that the chest buster came out of oh, an in alien. alien. I was like, wow, that's really cool because everyone's like cringing and they're all like trying to reel back from the screen. And (laughs) it would be hilarious if that was a focus group as well or some sort of like early screening. Funnily enough, actually, that scene in in the original Alien movie, they didn't tell any any of the actors either that that was going to happen. So So all of their reactions are actual genuine reactions. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, speaking of movies, we're going to talk about... Uh, was it premiere access to Disney movies? Yeah. Well, and uh, kind of the opposite. So Disney Plus has premiere access where they charge you, I believe it's $30, to basically get the access to the movie. So they've done this now for Ray and the Last Dragon and Mulan. And this is digitally. Yes. As part of, if you, I believe also you have to have the subscription service as well. Yes. So not only are you paying the 10 bucks a month or whatever they charge for Disney Plus, then you also pay $30 on top to just watch the one movie. Yep. So question, because I haven't done it yet. Um, is it a, like a rental? Like when you rent something on like, let's say Amazon Prime, it's like you have two days to watch this or something. Or is it like you can now practically consider yourself owning this? If I'm not mistaken, it's not. It's, it's not, not owning it. If I'm not mistaken, what they do is they say, uh, okay, we charge you $30. You get now access to the premiere access version of Raya and the Last Dragon. Raya and the Last Dragon will eventually get taken off of premiere access, in which case then it's available to all Disney Plus subscribers. So that time period where it was part of premiere access, those that bought it have access. So it literally is just early access. So you yes. can watch it as much as you want between the moment you buy it and before it's released to everybody. Yep. But it's and the reason why I say it's not owning it is because Disney has a different service called Movies Anywhere where that actually is movies that you own and you can access from anything. But this falls solely under the category of Disney Plus stream. It's yes, a stream. because it's, yeah. a stream. it's a stream. And I think service. if you also got rid of your Disney Plus you don't have access to that anyway. Correct. Got it. Yeah. Um, now, the opposite of that is what um, HBO Max is doing with Warner Brother movies. They are doing, quote unquote, early access because technically in some places theaters aren't open where they're releasing the digital version on HBO Max at the same on the same day as they've released it in theaters. Or 
as an example, the Zack Snyder cut of uh, Justice League. I don't believe it was released in theaters. It was only released through HBO Max. That quote-unquote is the same basic concept of what they're trying to do. Because they would release it on Blu-ray instead. <laughs> exactly. It's the modern version of straight-to-DVD or straight-to-VHS. Yeah, well, and they have done they did that with uh, Wonder Woman 85 or whatever for the, the Christmas time. They released it on HBO Max and in the theater. I forgot that was even a movie. I'm yeah. not going to lie. That was a fun movie. It was, yeah. It was I, haven't, I haven't watched it. Um, so... There are two opposing sides to that, obviously. One is you get charged the theater price pretty much for it. And then the other one is we made a deal with this company and we're going to put it out anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, the biggest idea that comes along with either one of those approaches is that Disney goes, oh, well, we would lose money just releasing it at the same time if it was going out to the theaters. Or slash they're thinking about the family going, well, it's cheaper for a family to buy you know, access to this movie early than take them all to the movie theaters i'm like okay you've got a point i mean if you got tickets and food and everything else if you got a family of four two adults two kids you know that's forty dollars at least for the ticket right there above the premiere access and then you know like you said all the food and stuff that goes along with that uh plus you know sitting down finding seats and all that stuff especially with covid going on yes um hbo max is the other way where it's like hey well let's just give people access to the movie you know they can stay home Either way, that's kind of relying on the fact that I feel like HBO Max is more on the side of going, people still care about going to the theater. It's a different experience. Going to the theater, watching it on a way bigger screen, having your snacks, and have those powerful speakers you know, blast out to you. I feel like Disney, on the other hand, is going, well... You know, we'll give it a month before it actually comes out, and then you know we'll release it. They're to playing everybody. to their target audience really well too, because the the stuff that they're putting on premiere access are family movies, yeah. and they know it's really hard to get a family of children into a theater and manage that. Whereas if you can charge for the option for them to stay at home, I I think there are a lot of parents that are willing to bite that bullet to that's, not have to go to a theater especially to watch the movie early and have all their kids be like i watched this movie before you did well not only that but especially for disney because they are proprietary on all of their stuff too Mm -hmm. everything that is disney is disney so and and to be honest if you're making a multi-million dollar movie you know you probably want to recoup some costs that a streaming service is not already recouping for you and i think that's where the advantage kind of goes to hbo they're they're doing the the deal with WB to get more people on HBO Max. Yeah. Versus Disney Plus had the opposite approach. They're like we already have a ton of people on this Disney Plus service because we did so such a good job making sure it was readily available with all this new content and all this and you know Marvel their, TV shows and, and pulling else. their content before Disney Plus you know goes out. Exactly. And then they're like so how can we then capitalize on this during this time? That's where the premiere access came yeah. from. Now, there is a comment I saw somewhere, and I don't know if it was from the CEO or whatever. I'm not going to try to describe whoever said this comment, but there was a comment from a higher up at Disney who said, this is the new way movies are going to be from now on, and we're going to make sure even after the pandemic's over that things stay this way. So like a month before the movie hits theaters, we'll still premiere it on our streaming service. I was just wondering what you guys think about that. I, I think, once again, it's just playing to their target audience. If you start seeing them do that 
with like Star Wars releases or with other like big releases that are targeted towards like an older audience, I think that is probably going to lose the money in the long run because I think you're correct in saying that a theater experience is a completely different experience. Like there are some things that I won't want to watch at home because I know either my screen at home will not have the same contrast because sometimes you watch a movie that has a lot of dark scenes. It can, it can be really hard to watch that on like a not super high-end, ridiculously expensive screen. It's super dark, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really dark. You don't get the same atmosphere. You can't really have the same like audio surround sound sort of setup going. So you don't get that same feeling. So if it's something I'm super invested in, I'd much rather see it in theater. Mm. Like watching uh, Promare in theaters... That was the amazing. Anime movie. Yeah, it, it was an anime movie, but the soundtrack and the colors and the craziness of that movie lent itself really well to a theater experience. Well, and it's something we're going to actually have to see how well it does because Disney has kind of opened up already um, in the last like week or two. They said that uh, Black Widow, the movie, is going to be Premier Access. So they said specifically... I believe that's the first non-internal Disney uh, movie that is going to be on there that's not a Disney branded. Which is the only one I would say that's a little ridiculous because it was supposed to release last year. And it, it did get pushed back again. Yeah. So, which makes sense. Well, it totally does. I mean, like, complications, going pandemic. On, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I'm just like, when the release date for a movie is, <laughs> like... Six months after the pandemic started, you would hope that most of it has been filmed and is able to be edited. I mean, obviously, people don't just have an editing booth or suite set up at home. No. But I'm like, you know, hopefully the movie would have been already so far, you know, completed by then. But they're like, hey, we got to push it back. It's like, do you guys have reshoots? Do you guys, are you guys reshooting a movie you should be done with? Like if, last year? If, if Zack Snyder's Justice League is any indication they apparently did a bunch of reshoots during this whole thing in order to get this this four hour and two minute movie out yeah and i feel like they reordered the entire thing but um something i thought was really interesting at least not with disney plus because that's like a very minute thing that's happening and very niche thing that's happening right now is how ridiculous crowdfunding can be um if you don't know early access they don't release numbers. Disney's not going to release numbers of how much they're making off of premier access. No. We're never going to figure that out. Um, we're never going to figure out from HBO max, how much extra they're getting from this deal with, with uh, H uh, HBO. WB. WB. Yeah. <laughs> they're dealing with themselves. Um, and there's been other crowdfunding stuff that's out there that has gotten like over millions of dollars. There's a video game called star citizen that just left open after their Kickstarter was done. They got 2 million and they just left it open. They said, anybody who wants to donate, go ahead and donate. We'll just leave a counter going. And they got over $300 million from just doing that. Just going, hey, yeah, you could donate. Get up on the, the rewards platform. And guess what? That is not a $300 million game. No. <laughs> uh, and I, I just I love some of these. Um, I did like whoever put this question up. What was the first thing you kickstarted? Wait. Wait. Worst thing uh, we yeah. kickstarted? No, that was what. Is oh, that the was first the first thing, thing kickstarted. kickstarted. Oh, so <clears throat> on the day of release, on, I'm also when, curious about that question. Yeah, when Kickstarter literally first came out, there was a handful of projects. So technically, the one that I found was not the first because 
all of them are released at the same time. Yeah. But this is the one that they kind of recognize as the first because it also involved two of the co-founders of Kickstarter in this project. It was Whoa. called New York Makes a Book. It was, I, it was basically an app um, that I believe was like like a social gathering make a book thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it launched literally the day of the site's release and the project, like I said, included two of the co-founders of Kickstarter as its creator. Interesting. That's yeah. really cool. Do you guys remember what the first thing you guys Kickstarter was? Literally what I talked about. Oh. I, I've only Kickstarted one thing. Have you crowdfunded was... anything? Let me check. Beyond no. that? Okay, cool. The first thing, other than obviously, um, if you can consider like when you would have to buy a game or pre-order a game mm-hmm. to get early access, they they did that quite a lot two years ago, maybe-ish. Um, I still remember pre-ordering Destiny to get the Destiny beta. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I did anything before this, but I believe, actually, my first Kickstarter was Fidget Cube, which uh, is like a little desk toy thing, but I actually bought it at the time. Um, It's a little cube. It's got multiple buttons and switches and other things like that all over it for uh, keeping your hands busy. It's a focus tool. Yeah, I yeah. bought one for me and one for my daughter. She still uses it. Uh, I still I, have mine. I was going to Kickstarter a thing called QB Camera, which was just a camera that had a button on it. You could just click, and then it was kind of like a GoPro. Yeah. It would just start recording. Um, and I think it had some fun things. Like, it would try to focus on, like, people who were in the in the shot, um, and it would connect to your phone via Bluetooth so you could see what the camera's looking at. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and you could start it through there. Uh, didn't get funded. So my actual first ones is Dear Mr. Watterson, which is a documentary about oh, Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, about Bill Watterson. Yeah. And then my other one very closely next to it was Z. <laughs> oh, <of laughs> Now course. eight years ago, nine years ago. <laughs> wow. Shout out Sebastian. Yeah, shout out, shout out Sebastian. I had some fun ones in there, but uh, those are my very first ones. And then um, the kind of last little fun factoid is... Uh, still, as far as what research I found, the most funded project on Kickstarter is the company's technically defunct, but um, <laughs> the product was the Pebble Time sm- smartwatch, which raised $20 million back in 2015. Yeah, and this was all before the Kickstarter closed. Yep. And uh, then, yeah, and then eventually Pebble was bought out by Fitbit, and then they just dissolved the entire thing because they didn't want the hardware. They only wanted the software. Yeah, I actually have a Pebble too, and it doesn't you work anymore. I, a, I I really a, liked it. You used, I remember you using it a lot when we worked together. Look at all yeah, the software I, in my wrist. Yeah, I <laughs> I actually really liked it because uh, it lasted a long time. It used basically pa- like colored paper, basically. So kind of like what a Kindle uses. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then yeah, so the battery charge would last for days, and I could basically do everything an Apple Watch could just. On a very minute, older technology scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, I think a, a cool little closing topic would be like, what do we draw the line with early access? Like, is it when they offer they don't really offer much of a product to begin with? Is it how expensive it is to buy in? Rewards in general, or if it's buggy, unstable. What what draws the line for us if we're like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not getting into early access. I'll wait. Early access specifically for me is how much I care about the product. So example, do I like the company? Do I like products that they make? Sure. I'll jump on on their early access if I care about the game or whatever they're making. 
um, example, like, I guess Z could be an early access thing for me because I actually was involved in the beginning of it. I liked, before I even met Sebastian, I liked what the game was. Um, I At some point, I think he mentioned there was going to be a board game, so that hooked me. So I was like, oh, I'll back all, everything he do, he's doing. Um, and then, you know, obviously developing it was really fun. Um, my biggest thing for at least video games specifically, because that's where early access for me really means, is is the game playable to a point that I will have fun playing it? Is it like Valheim right now? Fifty percent complete. I had a lot of fun. I put like 120 hours in that game. Yeah, I would say well you worth have it. The total experience of the game. It's just not everything is there to yeah, do in the game. It's not finished. Yeah. And so if it's not finished, that's okay. But if I don't get the experience in the game from playing it, I'm good. I think I'm kind of along <laughs> the same vein that you are, Michael. Um, also, if it's like a ridiculous uh, price point to get into it, like if they're saying, hey, pay the full price of the game, like I think uh, one game, uh, GTFO, that it was like that survival, you yeah. get sent down into a mine, you cut, there's zombie things you got to extract. That was pretty close to a, a full release price point. I think it was like $40, $50. And I was like, you know what? It looks cool, but it's not finished. And uh, it apparently had a couple bugs. Um, and then it was just too close to a full price price, price point. Mm. It didn't I think seem, it's still in early access anyway. It's still in early access. It And it just didn't seem to offer the value that I was willing to commit yeah. to a game that may not have a final product. Now, the game looks pretty finished as a run-through. Like, mm-hmm. if you played it from start to be- start to end, you're like, oh, I've played a mission of this game. And it's got- the graphics are solid. It looks really pretty. I think they have three missions or something. Yeah. So but, again, like, if you're not getting more than a 60... If you're not getting a $60 value of the game, why buy it? Yeah. I, I think, for me, it ends up being... Price point being kind of the number one thing for me. And I think the only exception to that, which I'm excited to see what the development cycle brings, is uh, Baldur's Gate 3. Mm. That is a full price game and was a full price early access game. But I already know the company and what they're capable of. And I know the game series. So that as a whole has a very little chance of failing. It's Um, the biggest studio that's taking charge of that. Yeah, well, and, and they've... You've already sh- seen plenty of projection. It's just they're at the point. It's almost like a Bethesda game now where you can play a normal pace game, but then you'll run into a random thing that will just break the game. Mm. So once they get past that point, then I know my purchase was, was saved because then it's basically Dragon Age, just Baldur's Gate. And yeah. I mean, I'm very similar when it comes to $60 games. It's like I'll early access a $20 game hit or miss but a 60 dollars game must be on its way to being completed before i you have I, to have some sort of yeah i dips or yeah. have some sort of rapport with the the company yeah. that does it i will not give and that's the thing unfortunately with like indie games is like i'm already judging it a little bit i'm not going to give you 60 dollars if you're an indie game but i'll give you 20 30 like i'm totally fine with that because Spe- speaking of judging though before we go 
we should also get in that feel free to judge us on social media <laughs> any sort of any sort of social media around. that you're on wrap it back around if you can rate review and subscribe <laughs> tell us how poorly we're doing hopefully we're not doing too poorly <laughs> if you remember from the beginning of the podcast with that Corey comment now's the time now's the time uh, t- if you're driving well pull off, pull the, side off of the, road the side of the road and leave an angry comment to- directed towards Corey on facebook please have it early access to our message box Uh-oh. <laughs> you can be the first oh. and you know if you subscribe you get early access to our videos because you actually see them on time that is true <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> which i guess wouldn't be early access that'd be normal access subscribe to our stuff for normal access <laughs> and you can see all this through the link tree in the co- and in you the don't even have to pay yeah oh. um and if you don't know what the link tree is it shows all the casual product all the casual brands product sounds weird yes <laughs> And if you are paying, you're a sucker. Someone's fooling you. <laughs> don't don't give free. them any more money. Yeah, don't free. give them any more money. <laughs> uh, let us know what you think about early access. It really does. Uh, I would really love to hear your opinions. About yeah. It. And what the craziest thing that you've kickstarted or early accessed? I would like to hear that. Yeah. And how long did it take till you got the uh, rewards of such? <laughs> um, uh, as Corey said, thank you. Uh, as always, it's fun doing a podcast with you guys. And uh, stay accessible.